You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to the Dr. Ward Bond Show and my podcast, Life-Changing Wellness. Today's episode is brought to you by Prevagen, America's number one brain health supplement. So go to Prevagen.com to learn more about improving your memory. Now, before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. Well, my guest today is none other than investigative journalist Billy Hollowell, and we will dive into the strange phenomena of supernatural activity, exploring shocking stories and claims through the lens of faith. In his book, Playing with Fire, Hollowell speaks with pastors, theologians, and experts to answer important questions and to clear up some misconceptions about demons, exorcism, and ghosts, as well as where does deliverance, along with medicine, fit into the realm of healing mental illness? Is it a demon or is it something else? Well, Billy Hollowell has been working in journalism and media for more than two decades. His writings, his interviews, and social commentary have appeared in all major media. He has served as the faith and culture editor of The Blaze, senior editor of FaithWire, and has written four books. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Billy Hollowell. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Wow. I've got to tell you something. Now, your new book, being called Playing With Fire, a modern investigation into demons and exorcism and ghosts, well... I can personally say that I read it from cover to cover. It is full of such profound and even disturbing truth there, Billy, of the dark side, as well as biblical truth concerning Satan. So my question is this, what in the world led you to begin researching this subject, and why did you write a book about it? Well, first and foremost, thank you for reading it because I know you know this. It's really hard when you're interviewing a lot of people to, to actually get a chance to read an entire project. So I, I so appreciate that. But yeah, the answer to your question, it's such a it's such a tough answer because for for me, if you had said two years ago, this is gonna be the book that you write, you're gonna put this out in 2020, I would have probably laughed at you, not because I don't believe it or because it's just, it's not a topic I saw myself writing a book on. And I can tell you, I had already actually said no to this project a couple of years ago. Um, So there was a publisher that came to me. They wanted to do it. I prayed about it. I didn't feel right about it. And I sort of walked away from it. And this project really found me. Um, It was basically offered to me. Um, again, it, it reemerged with a different publisher after a conversation. And I sat on the idea for two months because I didn't, I, I wasn't sure. And I'll be, I'll be fully honest. I was actually afraid to write the book. I thought that this is a dark topic. I'm a lifelong Christian, but I think like most Christians or many Christians, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Right. Am I opening myself up to some sort of problem in my home? Is my family at risk? If I'm not fully and I have to be honest with you too, I, I really wasn't waking up every day and reading my Bible the way I should have been. And I felt like, am I in the right place to do this even? And so I sat on the contract for two months and I prayed about it and it became very clear that this was something I was supposed to do. And and so I moved forward with it. And I have to tell you, 
it was one of the most peaceful experiences ever, which I know sounds bizarre, but it's the well, truth. It really it, was. It is bizarre because, you know, this is a subject that um, is not talked about a lot. Now, maybe you talked about, you know, on Halloween and or, you know, friends just conversing about things and telling ghost stories or whatever. But I remember years ago, um, I had a mentor who 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 helped me and trained me in intercessory prayer. And one of the books that um, we had read and studied together was called The Three Battlegrounds by Francis Frangipane, which I've read three times. I even hate to read the book again because every time I read it, something happens. And because, you know, the subject of that book is pride, and that's one of the weapons that Satan uses. But... Your book, I, I read it because I was completely prayed up, full of the word before I read your book. So when I was reading your book, I could understand even more of the scriptures that you brought forth to talk about the demons, talk about exorcisms. And, and I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to read this book, but I encourage you to read your Bible every day. And Billy... I love the way that you outlined the book. Um, for a lot of people, I think you really brought Hollywood, per se, into the very first three chapters. And I, and I say that because chapter number one was The Exorcist. And why did you start the book off that way? You know, because I think for me, the thing that I found most interesting in, in writing this book, and I knew this beforehand, but it really became evident in the fact that I actually had friends who are actors and actresses, people who work in Hollywood, who were more likely to support the project than some pastors were. And it became very clear that Hollywood is talking more, and I don't want people to misunderstand me here, so I'm going to say this and then I'll give my qualifier. Hollywood is talking more about this issue of demons and exorcism and ghosts than the churches in some quarters. And that is really troubling because Hollywood is not talking about it the right way. But yet every October we are filled in movie theaters and obviously 2020 has been a little different, uh, but we're filled with all sorts of movies about this topic. And yet many churches are silent on it. We're not sure how to talk about it. Christians aren't really well equipped because it feels weird and it feels strange. And so we live in this silence with it, even though we know it's there. We, we know it's throughout the New Testament. I mean, it's pervasive almost how much this topic shows up. And yet it's talked about so little. So for me, looking at different cultural markers and really Hollywood's obsession with this topic started with The Exorcist. And little did I know until a few years before I wrote the book that The Exorcist was based on a book and the book and the movie were based on an allegedly true story, a little boy named Robbie, who we don't know his actual identity. He's apparently still alive today, but he went through a series of exorcisms similar to what the little girl in the film and the book go through. And so that was a really good place to start because it, it was really the, the point in the 1970s where the public, obviously this is something we've always talked about in the public, but Hollywood started driving this discussion with that movie. And so going into that real life story and the claims around it and kind of marrying that with the fact that Hollywood's talking about this and they're going to continue to. And again, 
it's a problem when Hollywood's talking about something that's a church topic that the church is not owning. And so it was a good opportunity to highlight that. Well, and that moves into my next question, because why do you think that the church itself tends to avoid, even ignore the topic of demons and even spiritual warfare? And I, and I want to go into your book based on that question to you, because Chad Norris said in your book, and, and I quote him right now, many of my fellow brothers and sisters that lead have such a strong fear of man, end quote. And then he says, and it's tied into money. Explain. Yeah, I think that that perspective, and I'll speak for myself on this, is that churches are afraid, some, to talk about things that feel weird, right? I mean, this is a weird topic. And yet people are flocking to movie theaters to, to be scared. They want to know more about it. And, and that's not always a pure reason to go and try to learn more because <laughs> you want to be scared. <laughs> yeah. There's a human interest there because innately people, there have been enough experiences throughout history, right? The history of humanity that have reported to have had these sort of exorcism type or spiritual warfare type experiences to know, we all know there's something there, right? And that's why we all love ghost stories. And we can talk more about ghosts, but but I think in this case with churches, it's not wanting to look weird, not mm -hmm. wanting to look strange. I mean, listen, I'm the weird book guy now in some people's eyes, probably. I've written a book about the end times. I've written a book about this. And I like to approach things as a Christian, but as a journalist and to present things that are uncomfortable. And for some reason, this is an uncomfortable topic, yet quietly so many people want to know more about it. And the church is equipped to talk about that. And yet we have that silence. And so I think when it comes to that fear of you know, losing, or and maybe, and I want to just say this too, because some of that is well-intentioned. If I say these things, or if we go out there and talk about these things, fewer people will want to come and, and learn the truth. They'll want, they won't want to learn the gospel. They'll think we're weird. So I understand some of that. I also think though, that a good chunk of this is not understanding the topic. There are a lot of people, and I can tell you through this book, and you read this when you read it, we did a survey through HarperCollins of church leaders. And these weren't just pastors. They were other people in churches, you know, people who lead Bible studies and, you know, all sorts of other things inside churches. And we asked them, do you think this is a problem, uh, demonic possession or demonic activity? Everybody said, the vast majority said yes. Do you think it has an impact on culture? The vast majority said yes. When you start asking questions like, is your pastor in church talking enough about it? The majority say no. And so it's an issue we know is real, but yet some people, I would, I would argue probably even in church leadership, don't know a lot about it even, right? Because if we're not talking about it in churches, are we talking about it in other quarters where people are learning when we're discipling people? I mean, is this something that's coming up? And I would add one more thing, the obsession with the topic too, because there are some quarters, there are some Christian circles where they see a demon under every rock. It's everything is demonic. There's no personal responsibility. Every illness, whether it's physical or mental, anything is always, always, always demonic. And that's the answer to them. I think a lot of people have a reflexive sort of, you know, we sort of move away from that because it, it doesn't really explain the gospel fully and what's going on. And so, again, that ties back into the weirdness and wanting to avoid that. So we want to avoid polar opposites, you know, polar extremes on this, I think. Yeah. And, you know, the, and the first three chapters of the book are three stories. And ladies and gentlemen, these stories uh, are not fiction. Okay. They are true. And when I read the first three chapters, Billy, there was something that literally jumped out at me. 
And I noticed that in the first three stories, each of the people, when if they went to a Christian church and said, look, I need some help. There's something strange or demonic happening in my home or within whoever. They said, don't talk to us. But they all reached out to none other than the Catholic Church. And then you have the priest going, I'll be right over. And I thought, wow, what are we missing here? So my question to you is, do you think the average pastor feels equipped to even, and I think you've touched on this a bit, to not only teach on these types of issues, but to actually help someone that could have these problems. And I know that in your book, uh, Pastor Lucas Miles, uh, and I'm going to quote him because these things are very important and it kind of builds this up for a lot of you watching as well as listening. So Pastor Lucas Miles says, he sees people moving away from talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, we're afraid to talk about spiritual warfare and the power of the Spirit. And at the same time, we must be aware of the subtle influence of the demonic, and it is thought-provoking, and it's something other experts have explored. Uh, As for you, when you were doing the research for the book, why is there this day and night look between today's Christian church and the Catholic church when it comes to dealing with demonic forces? Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about the Catholic Church, and I think it's the thing that makes most Christians, you know, I'm not a Catholic, I'm an evangelical, I go to a Calvary Chapel. Uh, And so I think for a lot of us, the thing we don't like is the top-down nature. On this particular issue, it's the top-down nature of the Catholic Church that actually affords it the ability to kind of always be an authority on this issue and that they're always willing to deal with it, right? Now, there are differences and disagreements over how they're dealing with it, but the reality is the Vatican and the Catholic Church, they have an exorcism right. It is the same right. It was just recently, a few years back, finally translated into English, but the Latin is still the preferred way of doing it. Everybody does the right the same way. You need to get permission to do it, but the church has a very orderly way the Catholic Church, of dealing with it. And I think the rest of us, you know, when we're independent churches, if we haven't talked about this topic, if we haven't engaged on it, some churches have no idea because there is no top-down. And again, that's not me saying we should have a top-down system, but it's the reality of that. If you're not going to talk about these issues and confront it, and then you're going to turn people away when they come, well, where do people go? They go to the place where people actually have a way to deal with it. Because keep in mind, if somebody feels, and, not, and and I would say it's very rare for a possession to be happening, but they happen. If somebody feels that there's a spiritual issue going on in their life like this, and they're going to a church for help, they are desperate, and they're going to go wherever they can where somebody has an answer to deal with it, right? And so that should also be convicting, I think, for churches, because I will tell you that some pastors do know how to deal with it, and they will tell you, and this is where you get into some disagreements over how you heal we could talk more about this, but they will tell you that it's as simple as sitting down and commanding whatever this, whatever demonic entity is there to leave, that they will sit down, they will say a prayer, you don't belong here, get out of here, and that's it. There's no head spinning, there's no craziness, there's no chaos. Not everybody will say that. There are others who will say different things, and we can get into that more. The Catholic Church has a different way of handling it, and usually there are multiple exorcisms, um, you know, or in some cases, to rid somebody of whatever is afflicting them. So, 
there's a lot there, but I think at the core of it, the Catholics have a system. Yeah, and and to tell you the truth, I have to give kudos to the Catholic Church for having a structured system. I mean, look, it's it you know, my gosh, 2020 is the craziest year, and I'm thinking that uh, my gosh, there must be a demon behind every rock <laughs> this year. But feel it that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the but we're talking with the Catholic Church. I think it goes back to 1614. So they've dealt with this with, you know, centuries upon centuries and there's a structure there and and you really have to give them props for that where the Christian church is, we have so many subgroups, okay? We have non-denominational, there's Baptist, Methodist, Church of God, Church of Christ, there's Assembly of God and it just goes on, but there is not this structure. It's almost like we're fragmented. Uh, Yes, we all have the same Bible, but the doctrines are different. And but when it comes to this, Satan's probably sitting around going, Yeah, I split you, I split all you guys up. But the thing is, is I love the fact that in your book, that professionals, if it's from a priest to the psychologist or psychiatrist, which you have interviewed in the book, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that here uh, in a moment, where they created the structure that when someone comes in for help, and like you said, it's none of this head spinning, uh, you know, well, there was some few stories in there about climbing up the wall, but I'll leave that one for the reader. But uh, but most for most of these people coming in, it is basically just commanding certain spirits or certain demons to go. Now, I'm a big reader of Smith Wigglesworth works. And I mean, you read his works. He literally walks into a room and he and he's basically yelling, going, come out or be gone. It's done. He walks out. And but, you know, and as you probably read many of his works as well. Everything's based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot, uh, you know, we cannot forget that. You know, Christ told his disciples, I'm sending somebody to help you. And it is the Holy Spirit. And, you know, to me, in today's church, yes, we know, and you and I are in agreement that they're not talking about evil because we need to be equipped. We need to have the whole armor of God, but people aren't really being told that they need it and as why. Um, At the same time, I'm not seeing the teachings about the Holy Spirit with power and with fire, with courage and confidence and boldness and authority that we have in the name of Jesus. I'm not seeing that in today's time in which we truly need. And and in your book, you know, and I love the fact that you really brought some great people that you talked to. And did you find it hard to find credible sources for some of the stories in your book, as well as the experts that you reached out to, to get quotes from or to, to research of their own works. Yeah. You know, one of the things that for me being that I've been a Christian my whole life and I'm trained as a journalist and that is, you know, I I like facts. I like to know that if somebody tells me something that I can try to prove that it's true, right? That I have a backing that shows me, okay, there's something here. I can say that this person is credible. Uh, for a couple of these cases, I had actually had previous experience covering them. The Indian, the Indiana case, which involved the walking up the wall, as you mentioned, <laughs> um, that was a case that I had covered intensely 
when I was working at The Blaze. And in that case, I had interviewed people, I had investigated, I had read. Um, and then I really wanted to go much deeper in the book because I knew there was something there. There were enough people claiming that they saw something where you could say, okay, it, at the least, whether you believe them or not, people experience something that they could not explain. And similarly uh, with Bob Cranmer, who dealt with a home that was infested in his belief, uh, that was another case that I had looked into and I had, I had called people before I wrote Playing With Fire. And I kept looking for that, oh, I'm going to poke a hole in this. This person's going to tell me that Bob is lying or that they didn't see the things he's saying. And I never encountered that. I would encounter people backing up the stories. And so, you know, other experts, not all of them, some of them I knew, you know, personally, and I know them to be credible and truthful people. And so you do your best to try to pull your sources together. And for me, one of the things that's really compelling on these stories, and I can tell you there are lots of other stories I wanted to include and people would not share them. And that is compelling to me because when people experience something like this and they don't want to share it, there's a lot of reasons why they might not want to. Uh, but, but usually it's because they've experienced something that is true, that they, that they believe to be true, and that they have a hesitancy to share that. And so even with some of the stories in the book, there was that hesitancy and that struggle of sharing a story and attaching a name to it. There are some sources in the book, as you will see, that they did I'd not like want their name attached to certain today's show. For more episodes, yeah. and, to stay up to yeah, date all sorry. of our show content, no, just remember say, to and, subscribe. And that's and compelling there, to me, and it's interesting. And these are people, everybody who I interviewed, you know, I can't tell people what to believe, content, but what I can say is that I found them Thank very intriguing the Dr. Ward and they're people who were accomplished, as you will see, and they are people who have dealt with these issues in different right. arenas, whether it's mental health or, or the church. Yeah, you know, it's, um, and, and I like to go back because, ladies and gentlemen, look, I, I highly recommend you reading this book. At the same time, I'm going to highly recommend that you read your Bible every single day because there's a lot of scripture in your book, Billy, which I absolutely love because you did take a full-blown biblical view of every subject. The first three chapters, I really like the way that you use those stories to set up the rest of the book. So we have The Exorcist, <clears throat> which was full-blown possession. We have the Indiana incident, which is really kind of, uh, you know, the children were affected, but, you know, the mother was the problem. And then with the governor, in the third story, it was infestation. It's like, you know, you buy a house and all of a sudden like, oh, gee, the lights are flickering. You hear footsteps in the middle of the night and no one's there. And the list goes on. But in your book, what to you, I know what it is to me. What was the most shocking possession story you encountered? Oh, boy. There, there are two of them. And... The, and it's hard to differentiate between the two. The first one is the Indiana case because it was so documented. You had a case with a mother, her three kids, and then her mom. So the mom, the grandma, the three kids. And you have a case where people are saying, I'm experiencing these things. They're happening. And people aren't believing them. And you have government officials filing paperwork claiming that they've seen things that are absolutely unbelievable. They're laughable almost when you think about them. The idea that a child would walk up the wall which is something that a CPS, a child services worker, wrote in an official report that she observed this child behaving erratically and walking up a wall. Again, sounds ridiculous, but this is the reality. These are not things that people are saying. It's not a rumor. They're putting them in official government documentation, so much so that the Indianapolis Star found the story so compelling that they ran a newspaper story at a mainstream outlet on this 
back in 2014. So these are that was a very compelling story to me. And that and that the people involved, some of which I interview in the book, those people have backed the story. And I didn't go to the family. The family's been on the record. I went to a sheriff who handled that that story. I went to the priest who dealt with it. And I wanted to understand every part of that. But the the one that I the second story would be Amy Stamatis. Her story oh. was fascinating to me. And as I was writing the book, I was praying throughout the whole entire process, obviously, because it's a hard, it was a hard, it wasn't actually a hard book to write. It was a hard topic to tackle. The book wrote itself almost, and because it was just so much that was fascinating. But Amy was a nurse who was completely healthy, had no mental health history, no issues, a family, a husband. And one day, while working at the hospital after treating a burn victim who she believes was involved in a drug explosion of some sort, which I think is an interesting detail, um, in the middle of treating him, as soon as she finished, she felt abnormal. Something didn't feel right. And I won't go into every detail of Amy's story, but what I will tell you is that over an eight-month period, her life devolved. She lost her job. She was at every single doctor you could imagine trying to find out what was wrong with her. She went from completely functional to not being able to function, to to losing her mind, essentially. And so from not feeling well that first day, within eight days, she was institutionalized, Okay. So a little over a week, she went from a completely normal functioning person to somebody who was institutionalized. And eight months after this, still afflicted inside of her home, found herself on her second floor window, sitting in the window, and picture that she's facing the inside of her house. So her back is to the open window. And she was consumed with this idea of killing herself. She had never been suicidal. She had never had these thoughts before. And she was a nurse. So she would think about ways that she could end her life. And what is so disturbing to me now is hearing her talk about this, that as she's thinking, how can I kill myself? She thought, if I just drop myself out of this window, not jump, just drop myself out of this window, I will hit the ground and I will die. And that will be it. I will solve my problem and I will be gone. And so she dropped herself out of that second story window, broke almost all of her ribs, broke her back and survived. And to this day is in a wheelchair but what was interesting about her story is that somebody heard what had happened, went to her church. Was She was a churchgoer, which is another interesting element of her story. Uh, but she went, you know, this woman went to the hospital, performed a deliverance over Amy, and she was essentially fine after that and has lived a normal life since. And so that's a lot of details, I know. But that story was really stirring to me. Well, you know, you kind of open up a whole nother book. And I'm, you know, when I, after I read the whole book, I'm thinking, you need to write a sequel because there's so much more in there that could be ex- expanded upon. But you know, and her story is something that in today's time, you know, we, we you know, suicide rates are at an all time high. How many of those suicides, how many of those people were thinking the exact same thing? not even knowing that maybe they came in contact with a demonic force. And, and I think suicide is, a, is demonic in itself because it's upon the mind. And, and I want to kind of move into something that I, that I noticed in your book, which I highly appreciate. In the first three chapters, you tell these, you know, you report on these three amazing stories. But on the biblical side, you showed us through scripture and I got one of the best biblical 
uh, studies out of this book, Billy, because you opened up Jesus's ministry knowing that a third of his ministry was dealing with the demonic and casting out demons. But the man in who lived among the tombs and the way you explain that story, he was naked. He had supernatural strength. They would put chains on him and he would break the chains. And when I read these things, it put me back into those chapters in which you explained where people who have been fully possessed had some of them had supernatural strength. So here we are talking about modern day possession that mirrored the very things that Jesus dealt with, the supernatural strength, the the hurting of oneself. I mean, my gosh, the list goes on and on. Um, so I appreciate the biblical study that you give the reader because it is so important. You know, we can all sit around talking about, you know, strange, strange happenings in our life. But how many times do we get to sit around and actually talk about things of the Bible and maybe how those things uh, mirror some things that we've noticed in our own life? So which is why, again, I'm, I'm really on a kind of a crusade to get people to read their Bible because, you know, you quoted the Barna group, 17% of today's Christians that actually go to church regularly read their Bible and have a biblical worldview. I mean, when I look at the news, I want, I desire to have that biblical worldview to say, oh God, you know, is this part of the plan? You know, but I want to go back into your book here. So, well, here, um, talking about the stories, there's a story in your book and I want to say in the second half of the book, you barely mentioned maybe two sentences of a, a story that really jumped out at me. And Dr. Mary Mahler had a woman come to her uh, who she thought may have had schizophrenia. And, and I will say this, I think out of all mental illness, schizophrenia is very much on the line of demonic. Um, it's the, there's only, it, it can, to me, truly be dealt with spiritually not medically. I mean, when you have voices in the head and I've talked to people who are schizophrenic and it's a whole different world, it's a whole different conversation. But you made two sentences in the book about the patient. Her father was a head warlock. You wouldn't even print the horrific details of the story because I don't think their average reader would be able to swallow it. So why did you hide the details? Yeah, um, the details are gruesome. And I felt like we could make the point without them. And, you know, one of the things about Mary's story, because she was obviously one of, she's a, she's a nurse who actually ran, a psychiatric nurse, is that this is something that she has encountered. And it was that particular story that actually moved her into this realm of trying to understand what is going on and that there is, I mean, listen, you can talk to police officers around the country. There are different units that are dealing, especially out on the West coast with, with, you know, satanic, you know, groups of people who are doing certain things that, you know, are horrific. They seem like they're out of a, a, a horror book or a horror movie. And so, you know, that was one of those stories that it was so horrific that I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pull some of the details back on this because Mary can actually describe her journey without them. Uh, but we have to understand too. And I think, 
you know, I, I would say this to anybody who picks up playing with fire and you're having a hard time as you're reading that story or you're going through some of the others. I know people are going to say this sounds ridiculous. I can't believe this. You know, this is insane. If you're an atheist, I would challenge you to read it all the way through and to try to understand, uh, because at the end of the day, even atheists know that there are strange stories that can't be accounted for. Everybody knows this, and they're trying to understand it, and they'll try to find a naturalistic way of viewing it, but you have to, through the lens, I believe, of at least curiosity, approach this. Now, if you're a Christian, and I want to piggyback on something else you said before, because I think this is really important. When we talk about the different times that Jesus healed people, there's a story about a little boy and his father goes to Jesus and is desperate for healing for him, for his child. And when you read that story, it, he, the father says they're trying to kill him. They throw him into the fire. They try to throw him into the water. And again, we have to remember the nature of Satan. When you go through scripture, and I had a chance to do this in this book, and I had never done it before. I had never gone through and said, okay, I'm going to pull out all the times that evil is talked about in scripture, and I'm going to put them together and try to understand it. When you look at those attributes of Satan, he's a liar. He's trying to kill and destroy. And you look at the stories of what of what demons do to people, and you look at what is happening in people's lives, right? Like Amy, her story of trying to attempt you know, suicide, throwing herself out of the window, and so many others, they line up in such a fascinating way. Um, and the same goes with the story about Mary that you brought up, that you then have to say to yourself, what is going on here, right? At the least, something is happening that I can't explain. Yeah. Now, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions about the Bible's teachings on demons, Satan, and evil spirits? Yeah, you know, I think there are so many things. One of the hardest parts of this book was to write about ghosts. I won't lie. I didn't really want to do it. I, um, I felt like, and I went back and forth, you know, I wrote a very small chapter initially on ghosts. And, you know, my editor came back and said, well, what don't you think, you know, we should do a little more on this to help people understand? And I said, and I prayed more about it. And I felt like, yes, you know, we should. I think one of the big misconceptions that people have is that, a, it's a healthy and okay thing, and even Christians believe this, to go and try to communicate with the dead. I mean, right. this is something that people are doing. It's part of pop culture. And by the way, as we talk about culture and how bad things have gotten and where we are, the book that I wrote before this a couple of books ago was called Fault Line, and it was about media Hollywood universities, how they have shaped us. And Hollywood has really taken the whole go see a psychic, go see a medium thing and normalized it. Um, and this is before Hollywood was doing this too. I mean, in culture, there have been different times, war times, things like that, when people are desperate and they're trying to communicate with their loved ones, but it's become normalized. And so people think this is something you should do, but scripture is pretty clear. It is not something you can do. The Bible never says you can't communicate with the dead. It says, don't try to communicate with the dead. Um, it says, don't try to conjure spirits. Don't try to go, don't go to psychics. I mean, the penalties in the Old Testament for being a psychic um, were death, right? I mean, this is something that was very, very frowned upon, yes. again, Old Testament. And so the Bible is pretty clear that these are not things we should be engaging in. So I think a big misconception is that it's healthy or okay to do these things. This is what opens people up to some major problems outside of the fact, and by the way, the vast majority of people may not have any problems after doing it, but the fact is you have decided to put your faith and something other than God for answers that you can't possibly get through the means you're trying. And so that's a big one. And I think ghosts too, the idea that 
people are dying and remaining behind. I know a lot of Christians who do believe that. Um, the experts I spoke with feel that what you're connecting with is not the deceased person, that you are connecting with, you know, essentially demonic forces, that right. when you use a board or some other tool, that is what you are doing. You're not talking to actual dead, I know it sounds strange, but dead human beings. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I'm not a, <clears throat> a believer in ghosts, um, <clears throat> you know, because, and your book really clears that up, because it's not a person being left behind, a person that can't, that's caught between heaven and hell. Look, I believe what the word says, you know, the moment our life ends, we're either in the presence of the Lord or we're not. You know, there is no in between. I don't believe in this, you know, we're going to be sleeping till Jesus comes back. Hey, I believe that, uh, you know, if I leave, uh, you know, from front of television lights, I'm going to be in front of God's light. And, and there is no in between. Uh, but so I think, you know, I think the ghost story thing is kind of cool for Hollywood. Um, but, you know, it's just people need to get educated. And, and I know pastors have a hard job. I mean, they can't teach and preach on everything uh, on, any, on any given week which is why we have Bible studies, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Bible studies are for, is to dive into other subjects and to learn those. So if, you, if you're not part of a Bible study, go find one, because you've got to learn the Word of God. But t I want you to explain to all of my viewers and my listeners the difference between demonic oppression and demonic possession. Because I know, you know, should Christians be worried about the power of demonic forces in their own lives? And of course, I say the word is yes. Yeah, and, and this is this is so interesting, right? Because one of the key questions is, can a Christian become possessed? And most of the experts I spoke with said no. Uh, now, if you believe that you can lose your salvation, okay, so this is a whole other, I mean, that's like a whole other book, right? <laughs> uh, but, but the debate in Christian circles about whether or not you can walk away from God and lose your salvation then those people would actually be able to say yes to that question because they would believe that you know you could lose your salvation and then you would, you'd have this scenario where the Holy Spirit is no longer there and there'd be room for you to make room for evil. Okay, now the difference between possession and oppression. Oppression is something anybody can deal with. So Christians, non-Christians, it's it's the impact of evil and the demonic over one's life. And, and it manifests itself in struggles and different issues that may come about. And it's something we all sort of deal with, right? I think it's something every Christian deals with. Possession generally is not something a Christian is going to deal with. It's also very rare, okay? And so when we, when we talk about these things, I think we need to be very careful to understand those differences. Now, the danger with oppression is that when we're not talking about these issues, I think a lot of people are like, oh, possession. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. It's so rare. Well, oppression's not rare. And if churches aren't talking about this balance over good and evil, I mean, my goodness, Ephesians 6 tells us all about this. And I would encourage everybody, you're talking about read the Bible daily, absolutely. And read Ephesians 6. When you get in um, to those to those verses, especially like seven to verses seven to thirteen or so, you are seeing that this is a battle between good and evil. That it's not a battle between flesh and blood. And yet right. here we are, we're fighting everybody right now. And I'm not saying don't have a political opinion, but the reality is, in many of our minds, the other side of the political aisle is evil, and that's where the fight is. Right? The fight is much deeper than that, and mm -hmm. the impact of that fight 
we are watching in our culture right now. We are seeing that. And if we are not prepared to talk about it and understand it, we're in big trouble, not only as we deal with culture, which is what we all love to talk about, but as we deal with one another inside the church and with ourselves. So oppression is something that anybody can face, even a practicing Christian, and being able to protect yourself, according to Ephesians 6, it's not this magic formula. It's not going to see a psychic. It's not... It is actually being a Christian, waking up, reading scripture every day, having a relationship. It's not even about the actions. It's about the relationship that you have with God. And that is your protection. So when you're a Christian, you don't need to fear evil. You have authority over evil. But you also need to understand that, you know, oppression is something that could impact anyone. Yeah. And and, and 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, you know, the Lord has given us a spirit, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And that only comes through reading the word, praying, and, you know, gaining revelation knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I encourage everyone to start not only reading their Bible. I mean, I, I'm thinking I'm going to have to pound this into people's heads, but at the same time, seek the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives us revelation knowledge. Now, in your book, you know, and, and I had a lot of questions, uh, even more so, uh, about this, that if someone is a Christian and they can't be, you know, possessed because, you know, you can't have two, fi- you know, two, for- well, you can have two forces fighting, but, you know, the Holy Spirit's a stronger version. But let's talk about the word for a moment, the word Christian, because as I was reading your book, I don't look at, you know, when people say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, anybody can say they're a Christian. You know, what? what is the true definition of Christian except for the fact that they have received Christ as Savior, they've been washed in the blood and been forgiven of their sins. But a lot of people throw the term around very loosely. But when we talk about demonic forces, when we talk about oppression, we talk about people falling away or backsliding. If a so-called Christian goes to talk to a medium, um, somebody who's predicting the future, uh, you know, maybe following their horoscopes daily instead of following what the Word of God says for them to, to do daily. And, and God was very, I mean, the Lord is very, very clear on this. You do not seek those things. You do not talk to the dead. You know, let that stuff be. And as you said earlier in the Old Testament, you know, God told people, if you know who these people are, you go put them to death. Because He didn't want that infiltrating his own people. But today we have this loose term of Christian and there are those that I feel that on the loose term could end up being heavily oppressed, yes, but there could be in a rare occasion where I think they could be possessed because maybe they're not as Christian or as or Christian by true definition. What say you? Yeah. Or, you know, is the oppression so strong that I've known people, actually, there were some stories I didn't include in the book where the oppression was so strong, it felt like a possession, right? Where it was invited in and whether or not it's inside of you, if it's outside of you and it has that authority, they were seeing things, they were experiencing things that that is just as pervasive for for people. It may not be like Amy's story where you're throwing yourself, dropping yourself out of a, a window. It may not be, but it can be, I, I've heard stories of people waking up, their hands are moving, their body, so it's not inside of them, but but they're dealing with that because they've engaged in those sorts of activities. So at the end of the day, there's a reason that the Bible tells us to stay away from those things because they do have an impact. But I would also 
I would also say that culture is slowly but surely eroding truth in people's minds. And we're watching this happen, and it's happening on all sorts of issues. It happens through Hollywood and media and education. And, you know, when we don't have that biblical worldview, when we're coming at it from, you know, our, our own hearts and our own minds and what we think is right, it's very easy to suddenly believe lies. And those lies can lead you into some of those same traps. And so I think it's important that, yeah, this is why you go back to Ephesians 6 and you read that and you're like, man, this is, it's not just about saying, oh, I'm a Christian. It's about really living as one and being one. And if you make those mistakes, seeking the help to turn it around, right? If you make those mistakes, going back and, and you know, talking to a pastor and saying, you know, repenting, first of all, but, but changing it because these are things that Christians are doing and they're things that Christians should not be doing. Yeah, and, and I want to kind of throw this out there because, again, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to literally buy Billy's book, Playing With Fire. Uh, and one of the things that really, I guess, really pierced my spirit or spoke to me was in the areas of Catholic priests who are who have are called or in the ministry of deliverance and have been taught what exorcism is, how to perform the exorcism. And I was so amazed how you explained it to the point that we must be pure in heart. You know, there must be no sin within us because, you know, if you go before someone, let's say that is possessed, you know, it goes back to, you know, the demon will know what is inside you and he can say, look, you know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And if we're not pure in heart, well, it goes back to the title of your book. We end up playing with fire and we can get burned. And so Absolutely. I and so I was very I mean that that really touched me to know that we need to seek purity. It was funny, I was just reading a devotion this morning from uh, Anne Graham Lotz and how we need to seek purity. And that is, that's something that we don't hear about today. But in your book, I want to get back to this right now. How can we, as believers, discern the difference between demonic possession and addiction, as well as mental illness and disease? This was a very important part of your book. Yeah, I wanted to take care to make sure that we approach this the right way. And so if somebody feels like they're dealing with these issues, the most important thing to do is to seek help from a professional. And so Christian counselors, Christian psychologists, and pastors, right? One of the things I loved in all the people I spoke with who deal with this, and including the Catholic Church and how they approach it, they will spend a lot of time making sure somebody does not have a mental affliction going on before they dive into exorcisms or deliverance. Because understanding what you're dealing with you can't heal somebody if you're not if you're not healing them with the right medication right and so and when i say medication i mean that to mean spiritual things as well and so making sure you know what you're dealing with there are times that you're dealing with both there are times that a mental affliction has i mean we're complex we you know we're physical we're mental we're spiritual and so you know when it comes to mental and spiritual those things will feed off of one another many times and so understanding that you're addressing it the right way if you're dealing with something that is specifically mental and you're only getting spiritual help or vice versa that that's problematic so you want to make sure you understand those things it was interesting talking to experts because many of them said listen at the end of the day with a lot of addiction issues it was very rare for them not to find a spiritual issue attached to it right 
And there are people who deal with both of these things, and it's important to try to find them. And again, my call to churches would be when people come to you, don't turn them away on this. Solve the problem. We solve so many other problems for people. We connect them with so many other resources. Be sure that if this is not an area that your church is dealing with, even if you're a parishioner and you're listening, go and tell your pastor, hey, we should be prepared for this. There are spiritual issues. We don't want to obsess over it. It's not about a demon under every rock, but it is about meeting people with their needs and remembering that this was such a massive part of Jesus's ministry. How could this not be something that we're concerned with as a church? Absolutely. And and I love the fact that, you know, especially with the Catholics, and again, I have to give them kudos because you explained in the book how they would, when they talk to someone or they're going to minister to someone that may have a problem, let's say mental illness, they want to exhaust all medical means before they even think about that this situation could be demonic or if an exorcism is needed. On the Christian church side, you know, you and I both heard the the same uh, statements from people. Oh, you know, if you're using medicine from the doctor, you don't have faith in Jesus. Well, that's a lie. And, you know, even Jesus said we would need a physician. You know, my gosh, you know, you even brought up in your book that, the you know, Luke, one of the disciples, he was a doctor. And I and, and, and I think there's a reason why Jesus called Luke to be one of the 12 disciples, because we need to realize that, you know, look, if you get hit by a bus, you know, you, you need to go to the hospital, okay? Uh, you know, spiritually, you know, I hope, I hope the person's saved, but you can't, you know, literally have something going on there. But the thing is, is I like the fact that in your book, it clarifies that medicine is important. We need to seek out what the problem is, especially when it comes to mental illness. And if all of those things have been exhausted and nothing has worked, then one can look at the areas of, is it a demonic problem? And I think that is something that all of us Christians need to understand that, you know, the Lord heals today. The Lord uses medicine to heal. The Lord will touch a doctor's hands to guide during surgery to make sure that that person is healed and lives and recovers. All these things work together. And and you bring up that very uh, important part in that book. And I want to thank you for doing that. Yeah, it was important to me because I think, you know, I know a lot of people who say, oh, any mental issue is demonic. And, you know, I, I think that, yeah, when you talk to these experts who deal with this, and these are Christians, they will tell you that, well, that's not always the case. And every single thing, you know, you have to approach people where they are. And there are very dangerous things that can happen. And, and there are certain cultures where there are people who have died because they're dealing with something that the, that, you know, essentially the, the, And so we have to be careful. We have to make sure we're dealing with things. On the flip side, if you're only dealing with the mental, mental, mental side of things, and you're not dealing with the spiritual side of things, and there's a spiritual issue going on, that person isn't getting the healing that they need. And I have heard stories from experts who will tell me that they get calls from mental institutions who will tell them, please keep this quiet, but we have a case that we can't figure out and we need your help. That that's a regular occurrence that goes on. And in the book, I cover this, but the, the entire area of psychiatry, there are a lot of people who are more open 
to understanding this. Even people who I don't even know where they are spiritually, but they're saying there are things we don't understand going on here. And so there's a movement there. Richard Gallagher, who I talk about in the book, uh, he also has a book out on the demonic right now. His experience working as a psychiatrist in New York City, uh, where near where I live. Um, he's here in New York. He also works with the Catholic Church, helps them look at different cases. He's one of the experts who comes in to differentiate. Are we are we dealing with mental illness? Are we dealing with spiritual illness? And so these are important things. And to me, we I couldn't work on a book about this without addressing that. Yeah, and and I'm glad you did that. Uh, for a lot of people that are listening and watching, tell us the difference between a deliverance ministry and exorcism. Lost the link. Hey, Billy. Oh, okay. Hey. We're good. No, no. Hey, it's all great for editing, so we're good. So let me uh, re-ask that question, and we'll start over there. So uh, I want to address my uh, director real quick. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Let me direct my... Uh, Eddie, um, this is an edit point, and we're going to go with this next question, uh, which is the difference between deliverance ministries and exorcism. So, all right, let me start. Three, two, Billy, tell us the difference between deliverance ministries and exorcism. Yeah, with deliverance, well, let's start with exorcism. Exorcism is much more what we see in the Catholic Church. And this is you know, the very specific rite, the rite of exorcism. It's said in Latin generally. There is an English version. And they will deliver this, and you have to follow very specific steps. There are some tools that are used. There are crucifixes and holy water. Deliverance is, is different. Um, and these are very complex terms, and I try to break them down in the book to help people understand that everybody you talk to has a different definition of the two of them, right? So you could say deliverance to one person and another person, but generally speaking, deliverance is a term that is used more in the Protestant world. And generally speaking, it can be the same thing as an exorcism, although the process is generally different. And everybody, because there's no top-down, has a different way of doing it. It's essentially a prayerful attempt to rid somebody of the evil that is oppressing them or infesting their home or inside of them possessing them. Now, some deliverance ministers believe that every Christian should undergo a deliverance, that even if you're not dealing with possession, if there's evil around you, or if you're dealing with some issue or a bond that needs to be broken, that you should undergo deliverance. And again, it's a prayerful, and it can be as simple as, there's evil here, get out, you're not welcome here, and that's it. I know some pastors who have told me they've walked into a room, they've said that, and the issue's gone away. And so you have this deeper theological debate really about what's needed, but we also see in Scripture that even Jesus alludes that there are some demons that need more than others, right? There are certain things you may need prayer, you may need that have to happen. And so that's actually really interesting because it does seem to open a door to that maybe every case is different and it may require something different. But um, but that's the main difference. So it's really more of a Protestant Catholic thing, although some Protestants will still use the term exorcism as well. Well, my last question to you is this. How does the reality of demonic activity point us back to the gospel? That was the most amazing part of writing Playing With Fire was that going through, I was so worried about writing it in the beginning, I was kind of fearful. And in the end, 
I was like, oh my goodness, this points you right back to your need for good, understanding evil, understanding who Satan is, what demons are, what the impact is actually shows us not just the impact on us, but on our culture, the dire need that we have for grace and for Jesus. And so it points you right back. I actually had, and anybody who's worked, and I'm a very transparent person, so I'll tell you, whenever you've worked on a book and you have publicists or other people trying to like figure out how do we how do we get the book out there? You know, my thing is I just want people to talk about the issue. I don't write books that I just want to sell. I just don't really care. I, I care because I want the book out there, not because I'm dying to like sell a book to people. Um, and so one of the things that came up is how do you talk about this around Christmas? And it's like, um, what better time to actually talk about it? Of course, everyone would say Halloween and that's true. But, but Christmas, I mean, you look at revelation, you look at the way that we, we look at this nativity story, the fact that Jesus came into this world, that this is what the cure is to everything. And yet Ephesians six, that battle that's going on, you have to understand that. And so I actually think it's a great time of year, uh, whether it's Christmas or Halloween, any time of year. Um, but when we were promoting around the holidays, that was a question that's come up. How, you know, how do we, how do we do that? And I think we, we, we say, look, this points us right back to our need for Jesus and why he came here for us. Well, Billy, again, um, your book is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I look at it as basically a study tool, a research tool. Ladies and gentlemen, Playing With Fire by Billy Hollowell. It is available on Amazon, every place where books are sold. Buy it, download it, read it. Now, I don't suggest you reading it all the way through. I'm the type of person that likes to read chapter, swallow it, ponder it and move on. Now this time I was sitting for hours reading chapter after chapter because I wanted to prepare for this interview with you, Billy. And uh, again, it's been an honor and an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to leave you with this. We must put on the whole armor of God every single day. We must renew our minds to become and to have the mind of Christ and that comes from, again, reading the Word of God daily, spending time in prayer, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. So, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of the Dr. Ward Bond Show, as well as life-changing wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds and rate the show on iTunes. And, of course, you know this one's worth five stars. So thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. Again, just look up Dr. Bond's Life-Changing Wellness on any streaming service, and you can learn more about me at drwardbond.com. Again, thank you for listening to Life-Changing Wellness, and, and also, too, that we are known as a different kind of wellness show. But also remember this, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right, your mind, as well as your soul. So have a blessed day, everyone. We'll see you next time.